Welcome to The Human Advantage, a podcast from the Centre for Army Leadership, which explores the more personal and tactical applications of leadership. In each episode, we meet someone who's experienced the highs and lows of leading, in situations ranging from major combat operations to challenges in barracks. We explore what they've learned about leadership to help our junior leaders prepare for success on operations today and in the future. I'm your host, Ash Bardwaj, a journalist and broadcaster and a British Army Reserve captain with the rifles. In this episode, we learn why self-leadership and self-discipline are vital when working autonomously. Those responsibilities, you're expected to have that done and nipped, and that's great. The level then at which you work at and the responsibilities is quite high. Many people just see us come in, take some photos and leave, and they don't understand all the production and everything that goes in beforehand and afterwards, and all of the planning stages, the meetings. We spend a lot more time off task doing the admin for it than we actually do on task taking the photos. And why approaching every task with the right mindset can lead to remarkable opportunities. I went and I spent a month on HMS Protector down in Antarctica. I took my camera and that with me. I did video while I was down there. And it was an absolutely once in a lifetime great opportunity that wouldn't have come my way had I not taken the risk, put myself forward and just had a good work ethic and got stuff done. Cameron Eden enlisted in the King's Royal Hussars, that's the KRH, and trained as a gunner on the Challenger 2 main battle tank, twice deploying on Operation Cabrit in Estonia and reaching Lance Corporal. He also competed at the British Championships in the winter sport of luge. After self-developing skills in videography, Cameron transferred to the Army Photographic Trade, which, like the Royal Army Physical Training Corps, does not offer a direct entry career pathway. Cameron was the youngest and most junior person to ever make the transfer. He completed the eight-month course at the Defence School of Photography, promoted to corporal, and was posted to Army headquarters, with deployments to France, Estonia, Afghanistan, Kenya, Finland, America, Canada, and Antarctica, as well as leading on projects back in the UK. But you might already know Cameron for his YouTube channel, The Savvy Squaddy, which has helped thousands of serving and ex-serving personnel to take control of their own finances. In this episode, we explore followership and teamwork around a shared purpose, how knowing your own strengths and weaknesses can aid your self-development, and why self-leadership and seizing opportunities can lead to incredible outcomes. I started by asking Cameron about his choice to join the army. Joining the army was something I always wanted to do, but I didn't want to put all my eggs in one basket. I, I knew I, I might not get into the army. There was I could have failed anything or medical or whatever, just to hedge all my bets and have options. I still did well enough in school to get into uni and I got into uh, to do forensic science and pharmaceuticals, but I got accepted into the army, so I didn't go to uni, joined the army, and I still think that's the right decision for sure. Well, f- for me, definitely. And you spent four or five years at the KRH, but you're now a photographer. So that's a different trade and you had to change cat badge in order to do that. How did that come about? Was that something you wanted to do from the moment you joined the army? No. So I didn't actually know until probably my four year point that even the photography trade existed in the army. And I got interested in video first before I got into photography. And I've always been interested in behind the scenes of films, how they've been created ever since I was young, always watching the behind the scenes of DVDs and getting the extended editions. And I did it as a hobby. 
And when I found out it was a job role in the army, as much as I enjoyed my job in KRH, I wanted a new challenge pretty much. And so I made the switch in 2019. And did you have to do much photography or other media work within the army? Was that something you were already doing within the KRH that told you that the army photography service was there? No, it was something I did in my free time. I, I made a few short films, entered them into competitions. Once I found out it was a trade, I then got into it a bit more seriously. And then when I decided I wanted to transfer, I took it on even more seriously. Did a lot of personal development in the evenings, watching YouTube videos, courses, all that to bring my skills up. Sort of once my unit did find out I was interested in it, I then sort of then became the unit fought for like my final year. We should say for those that don't know, foot is photographer. That's you. That's what you do. Gathering yeah. the content and then editing it afterwards in post-production. At the time I transferred, the minimum requirement was a Lance Corporal. I then started the process and that was a week's long sort of aptitude assessment week where they evaluate you in, on many things. It's not just photography skills because you hire for attitude, not for aptitude. So in the photography trade, we rather look much as who you are as a person as opposed to your skills because we can teach you all the skills. But because we're such a close-knit and small trade, we want good people who have good attitudes and a good work ethic. So the assessment very much uh, focuses a lot more on that as opposed to photography skills. So you've been doing it for about four or five years now. So what's life like in the Army photographic trade? You're cat-badged Royal Logistics Corps, but you're not at regimental duty. You're not quite an attachment or a detachment. You are under the Army photographic trade and then you go out on operations. How, how does it work? We, we have a multitude of different departments and the main one at the moment would be Army Comms, which is situated in Army Headquarters and you work from there. When it comes to regimental duty, it's, it's a big change. It's so different and it's very much big boy rules. But at the same time, those responsibilities, you're expected to have that done and nipped. The level then at which you work at and the responsibilities is quite high. Many people just see us come in, take some photos and leave. And they don't understand all the pre-production and everything that goes in beforehand and afterwards. And all of the planning stages, the meetings and just we spend a lot more time off task doing the admin for it than we actually do on task taking the photos. And certainly some units, they will see us and I suppose feel a bit of animosity towards us because they just see us come in, film some stuff and leave. But what they don't then understand is we're still going around. Like if it's a big exercise, we're hopping around to all these different stages of the exercise. And then depending on the urgency of that task is we're then up at night where while they're all getting their heads down to get that stuff out, edited and uploaded and put out. So it's a great job and I love it, but I work far harder and much more hours now than I did when I was a gunner in the KRH. It sounds like there's a lot of responsibility there. So it's not like a combat camera team where you'll have an officer working with an NCO and the officer sort of thinking about the tasks to go and what they need to do. H how does the team operate within this? Are you just given a task of, we need photographs of this event for this purpose, and then it's up to you to then effectively do the estimate of everything you need and do all the liaison work? H how is the sort of command structure? I'll speak from my experience from Army Comms and that side of it. We have certain campaigns, you have campaign managers, they then dictate what messages they want outputted and what exercises to cover and how to cover that. We'd have to plan everything. But then sort of once that job gets to us of, right, you are going to cover Exercise Wessex Storm. Here's your points of contact. Off you go. So it's then down to the FOTS to reach out to those points of contacts, get timings, get locations, try to get all the interviews, 
We do have on the ground with us sometimes media officers, which do help, but that's not always the case. But it is good when they are on the ground to get that buy-in that we need to then produce the content that we require to get that message out. So it sounds like there's a lot of self-leadership within that. You're taking a lot of responsibility for doing it, even if you don't necessarily have authority. And sometimes you have to borrow other people's authority in order to get things done. How do you work out where you need to borrow authority and how do you kind of do the persuasion of saying, look, comms officer from this regiment, I need your help in persuading the colonel that they need to be here at this time for this event. And so there's an element of persuasion there. Would you say that that and effective communication are the two critical leadership skills that you're using in a lot of your events? And have there been any examples where this has caused friction? So you're the SME, the subject matter expert, going out, doing these things, and you might be encountering someone who has a, a higher rank that asks you to do something or makes a demand of you, where you know from your experience and training that that may not be appropriate in that situation. How do you manage that friction? It's a good question. Depends who I'm talking to as to how I will respond. Um, we had one instance in France where uh, we were covering an exercise with the Royal Welsh at France's version of uh, Copo Down. It's massive. It's a great, great uh, training environment. And uh, there was a brigadier there who demanded we send him the photos straight away. And that's not our process. That's not our policy. Whilst we take the photos, we don't actually have authority to release. They have to go and get sent and get cleared. And no matter, again, how many pips, crowns or whatever you've got on your rank slide, there is a process and a policy to follow. So it was about politely telling him that, no, he can't have the photos. He has to wait, just like everyone else. And to be fair to him, he was okay with that. It's a very delicate balance, especially because when I was at regimental duty, you saw like your sergeant major or the RSM, the colonel as the big dogs. But when you sort of step out of regimental duty and you get posted out and you, and you actually see the wider army, you kind of come to realize that actually, you know, everyone's got a boss. And the colonel who's big dog at regimental duty is now no longer big dog and you're in army headquarters. So especially as a photographer, it's really important to view people as people and you respect the positions that they hold, but they're still an individual, they're still a person. And it's about communicating effectively, politely, but sometimes bluntly, if need be, and you tell them how it is as the SME. And sometimes that must be an element of coaching. So let's say somebody's doing a media appearance. Most of them would have had media training once they've gone past Lieutenant Colonel, but they may not have effectively a media handler with them when they're doing something. So I presume sometimes it's up to you to have to step in and do that role. How do you do that where you're coaching somebody and you sat outside their normal chain of command? You're, you're, you're following, but you're coaching up. Yeah, so we'll, when we deploy or when we go to capture something, we'll, have, we'll be given the message and lines to take. So when we are doing interviews and things like that, we have to make sure that the individual is speaking correctly and trying to hit those messages. And if need be, we will coach them on that if they don't feel confident. We always try to like to interview people who are confident in front of the camera because otherwise it does come across on camera. It's never good when a unit just volunteers someone or you've got to go in front of the camera and be interviewed because it comes across and it doesn't help the unit because it makes them look bad. It doesn't help us because our product suffers. So it's, it's a lose-lose situation in that case. But we will try our very best to educate, inform and coach them through that process and it's, it's never live anyway, so it's, you know, it's all digital, it can be edited. If they make a mistake, we can go back again. It's just about letting them know that we're, we're friendly forces 
we're there to make them look good and we don't try to put out anything that looks bad. And I've never really had a negative experience of it, regardless of what the rank the person is. Even up to CGS, I've done quite a few things with CGS. You, you just stop him when he makes a mistake, as we all do in when you're speaking, reading from the teleprompter or whatever. And you just say, oh, can you say that again, please, sir, because of this. And absolutely fine. I've never had a negative experience of high-ranking officers getting a bit upset because a junior has told them they've made a mistake to do it again. So even there, the CGS, the chief of the general staff, the head of the army, the senior officer, the senior rank in the entire army, recognises that you as a corporal, in this particular instance, you have the expertise and he'll take on board that advice. I think that's a great takeaway for everything that you do in the army, actually. Recognise who are the subject matter experts, they're just trying to help. Yeah, and I've only ever had positive experiences with him um, because at the end of the day, we're there filming him. If he has a button undone and that video goes out, Okay, he might get a little bit of stick in the comments, but that's coming back down on me for not picking that up. So that, again, that's why we need our lowest rank as corporals, because you need to have that confidence to be able to say to a senior officer, is like, oh, sorry, sir, can you just do your button up? Or, oh, sorry, sir, can you just repeat that sentence? Or can we start again? Not that CGS would ever have his buttons oh, oh, undone, of course. Of course, of course not. <laughs> Looking back on your career, one of the things you've always done, it appears to me, is to seize opportunities. And that's right back when you're in the KRH can you talk to me about that mindset of what opportunities the army can provide you and the differences between the people that seize those opportunities and don't? I mean, I've seized loads of opportunities. I think the army offers so many opportunities. I've benefited so much. I've done so much stuff in my nine years in the army. And one of the first ones was I was fairly new in unit and it was on orders or something that was about winter sports and it was in the gym. You go sign up for a bunch of winter sports. So I put my name down for a few, and uh, one of them was Skeleton. I got a phone call saying, oh, you're interested in Skeleton. There's no spaces, but do you want to do luge? So for those who don't know, Skeleton is going down like a bobsleigh track on your front head first. Luge is going down that same track, but you're lying on your back and your feet first. Many people think Skeleton's dangerous. Whilst it is, luge is more dangerous because you go faster, your legs are on the outside of the sled, and whilst Skeleton, you're head first, your head's more protected. So anyway, I did luge. Turned out I was pretty good at it, was British Army Novice Championship, came fifth overall in the inter-services, and then I competed in the British Championships on Luge, with it just within my first year. So Luge has taken me to Germany, Austria, and Norway, and pretty much almost all expensive paid for, other than, I think altogether, I've paid a few hundred quid out of my own pocket. And especially with Luge, we were the first to go down the track, so come pretty much 11 o'clock in the morning, that's you done for the day, and now you're in this country. You've got so much free time to now go and explore and do things. So that was a big opportunity. I'm pretty good at that. And I haven't done it since I've become a fop because I've been so busy. Um, but then even more recently, an opportunity that I seized was last year. So in 2022, the Royal Navy ship HMS Protector was doing a defense engagement trip around Canada. And the captain of the ship reached out to the Navy photographers to cover that trip. They couldn't supply a photographer. She then went to our head of trade, asked if you know he could supply a photographer. We all put our names into a hat. Mine was picked out and I went away for three weeks in Canada on a defence engagement trip taking photos and it was amazing. But because of that, the HMS Protector is the Royal Navy's icebreaking ship. It's the only one there. And because of my hard work and what I did while I was there on that three weeks, she offered for me to come back again at the start of this year and go to Antarctica for a month as a guest. And my chain of command were well supportive. They're like, absolutely, once in a lifetime opportunity, get yourself there. And so I, I did. I, I went and I spent a month on HMS Protector down in Antarctica. I took my camera and that with me and I made him some videos. Like I did video while I was down there. 
And it was a, an absolutely once in a lifetime great opportunity that wouldn't have come my way had I not taken the risk, put myself forward and just had a good work ethic and got stuff done. That's amazing. You've been to Antarctica. Yeah, like one of the, like very few people ever to go to Antarctica, like globally, if you, if you think of it from that like perspective. The other thing that many people may know you better for is the YouTube channel, The Savvy Squaddy. Can you just tell me a little bit about what The Savvy Squaddy is and what the gap was that you chose to fill with it? Yeah, so um, The Savvy Squaddy is, a, I suppose, it's an online resource for serving personnel and veterans to further educate themselves in the area of personal finance. Um, personal finance in general is not well taught. It's not taught in schools. And if your parents don't really bring you up with how to manage money, you then get to working age, start having an income. And if you haven't got good financial habits instilled in you, then you are likely to not be very good with money. And did you see this amongst your peers in the army? Yes. Yeah, I was seeing, even as a trooper in KRH, my peers living in the block, a lot of disposable income, because you've got very little outgoings, are still hitting their overdraft at the end of the month even getting to the point with some of them where their pay for the following months was just paying off their overdrafts. And it was beyond me how they got to this point because they would admit it themselves where they'd get to the end of the month and have nothing to show for where that money went. Personally, for me, it was just mind-boggling that people could just spend thousands a month and not know where it went. I've always been pretty good with money, talking to people, and they're not understanding. I, I saw an opportunity here to have a positive impact on the lives of people so I, I just took the plunge and was like, right, I'm actually going to I'm going to do something about this and teach people how to budget, how to just generally be financially savvy, how to understand their pensions, because we do have one of the best pension schemes out there, despite what some people may think, and just general good financial literacy and to teach that to people. So they are then better informed to make decisions that impact their lives going forward. I mean, I'm a reservist and I look at your podcast just for my financial insights as well. I know you're not a financial advisor and you're... A financial educator. Financial educator. <laughs> but, you know, there's some really good stuff on there that anybody can learn from, even if you're outside of the army and even if you don't have all of your income from the army. So within the army, we have quite a different relationship with our employer. It's more familial and there is a responsibility and authority. To what extent is the army leaving a gap there? I think the army could be doing more and... They slowly are doing more. They are re realizing that financial education is actually one of the big topics that serving personnel want to learn about. Um, where the army, I suppose, then lack, and not just the army, but tri-service, is a lot of that information they then do internally. And whilst that's great, a lot of the audience that would benefit from it are not scouring internal means. They're not on SharePoint or Defense Connect. They're on Instagram, they're on Twitter, they're on YouTube. So all my videos, everything I do is open sourced. I can find it all on the Gov website. It's very important for me to make sure that, you know, everything is open sourced. So the military sort of missed the trick there. They are doing things to improve that, to have a, a positive effect. So I did see a gap there and I wanted to challenge and I wanted to have a positive impact on people's lives. And I came up with the idea. I then taught myself the skills to be able to create the content to then put out to help people. Well, you are generating the resource. Let's just hope that more leaders around the army start directing people towards what you're already doing with the Savvy Squaddy. We're coming up to Christmas. Have you got any financial tips for people out there listening? I think it's important for people to remember that Christmas has become very consumerized through adverts and everything. You're drilled down that, you know, buy presents for everyone, buy this, buy that. And, you know, 
I think it's just important for people to remember you don't have to buy lots of presents for your family for or for every single member of your family and all that. Like, So I think moderation is key. Don't oversplurge and just budget for it. Whilst it might be a bit late now, going into next year, you can start putting away money into a little a separate savings account ready for Christmas. So then when it comes to November, you're not worrying about where that money come from. So like every month putting like 50 quid into a separate savings account and that's a Christmas fund. So then when you get to Christmas time, you've got that much money you can spend on Christmas and divvy it up. But I think the main thing is, is don't just over splurge and don't go buying random stuff for people. I've told my parents to stop buying me things because I just get random stuff that as lovely as it is, I don't use it or I don't need it. And I just find it's a waste of their money and it's just unnecessary. So buy what is needed, not what is wanted. That is great advice for life, actually, as well, not just for Christmas. I could sit here and talk to you about this stuff all day, but I will be watching the Savvy Squaddy for financial tips. We like to wrap up with a couple of questions. How do you like to relax? Very recently, I've brought myself a Steam Deck. A Steam Deck? What's a Steam Deck? So a Steam Deck is, I think, a Nintendo Switch, but for uh, PC gaming. Oh, right. I thought, so you, it's, it's I, a, I thought no, this was like advanced ironing. No, no, not advanced ironing. No, I'm, I'm, I'm a ninja at my ironing already. Um, no, a Steam Deck, it's like a Nintendo Switch, but you can play your, your computer games on it. And it's a handheld device. And I did that because I was getting to the point where I was not relaxing in any way. I would finish work, come home, do the nursery run, do food, you know, do all the adult stuff. Come to eight o'clock at night when I can sit down, I'd then do Savvy Squatty stuff. I wasn't kind of switching off and relaxing. And I haven't gamed properly since my teenage years. So I thought, right, to relax, I'll start gaming again. So I brought myself a Steam Deck and yeah, probably about half an hour a day, I'll just sit on that and play a game just to sort of switch off and just zone out. Sounds excellent. If my wife's listening, maybe that's a Christmas present. <laughs> Are there any people that you've met throughout your career or books that you've read that have really inspired you or taught you something about leadership? Yeah, so one of the books that has impacted me the most was uh, Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. And there was a story or an anecdotal story in there and it was about a styrofoam cup. And the, the sort of takeaway from that was it's the position that is important and not the person. And I think it's important for le people and leaders to remember that it's the position they hold that's important, not necessarily them. And the benefits that they are afforded are often because of the position they hold and not because of them as an individual. They shouldn't allow that to affect their ego, which then might in turn affect the team. Um, that was the biggest takeaway I took from that. Good lesson. And if you were to speak to Trooper Cameron Eden, what would you tell him about leadership? Speak up more, definitely. That's a lesson I've learned over the years. But earlier, speak up more. Corporal Cameron Eden, thank you very much for your insights. Lovely to meet you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I admired Cameron's self-leadership attitude, which is embodied by seizing opportunities, whether that's signing up for luge and travelling the world, or self-development to learn new skills that took him into army photography and eventually to Antarctica. Not only that, but through his Savvy Squaddy financial education YouTube channel, Cameron chose to teach others, particularly his peers, on the topic of financial discipline and self-leadership for themselves. It's also an excellent example of effective followership. Cameron spotted a gap in financial education, he wanted to have an impact on people's lives, and he respectfully challenged the status quo by generating a solution in the shape of his YouTube channel. 
Whilst you're checking out the Savvy Squaddy on YouTube, look up the Simon Sinek story about the Styrofoam cup, which Cameron referenced. It's a good analogy for humility in servant leadership. This was an episode of The Human Advantage from the Centre for Army Leadership. It was produced and presented by Ash Bardwaj of Digital Dandy, co-produced by Lucy Ditchman of Feast Collective, and mixed by Josh Mundy. What you hear on each episode are the views of the participants and do not represent the position of the Centre for Army Leadership, the British Army, or the UK government. Please rate and subscribe to The Human Advantage on your podcast app, where you can find more episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, do send it to any friends and colleagues that you think might appreciate it. For more information about developing leadership, just search online for the Centre for Army Leadership. Thanks for listening.